0: from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. It's opening day on the Jeff Wagner Show, sponsored by Outdoor Living Unlimited and Century Foods. Bear ball down the right field line. Fly ball deep right. Holy smokes. Third deck. And now in for Jeff Wagner. Here is your host, Brian Noonan. Well, good afternoon. Happy opening
1: day. Oh my goodness. We never thought it would get here, but it has. Of course, Brewers versus Cubs tonight, starting at 5.30 here on 620 WTMJ. And we will be covering a lot of baseball today. We've got some great baseball guests. We are going to talk to you about baseball, and I want to talk to you throughout the whole show. Of course, 855-616- 1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When you call in, you'll be talking to Kyle, Jeff's executive producer. If you're nice to him, you get to me. That's how it works. Very very exciting day. Baseball opening day is different than any other sports opening day. And throughout the show I want to hear from you on the text line why you think that is. What makes baseball opening day so exciting? Why is it is it because here in the Midwest we're coming out of a horrible winter and spring training comes and we can see summer. It's it's almost here and then opening day comes and everything is just supposed to get better. Well, getting better Has uh, changed a little bit this year, but the crew is taking the field tonight, and it is very, very exciting. As I mentioned, we do have some interviews, so let's start off with baseball. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, as we always do here on WTMJ, and especially during Jeff's show. But we're going to start with an interview that Greg Matzik was able to do with uh, Corey Knabel. Corey is a pitcher, you know that, for the Brewers. What does Corey have to think about the upcoming season?
2: Opening day 2020 is here for the Milwaukee Brewers, a little later than expected, but nonetheless, baseball tonight as the Brewers begin the season at Wrigley Field against the Chicago Cubs. Happy to be joined by Brewers reliever Corey Knebel. Happy opening day, Corey. Thank you very much, Greg. I'm doing great, and I'm sure you're excited as well. You are healthy. You are ready to rock. Does it feel like opening day to you, however? Yeah, I mean, it's
3: still, it still really hasn't sunk in, so I know uh, I know... Once that first pitch is thrown, it's uh, it's going to be a good feeling, especially whenever Yellow hits that first home run. It's going to be – that's when you know baseball is back.
2: What's it been like through the process of the scrimmages and all that, just adjusting to new routines, new habits? You're obviously a pitcher, so you kind of have a a certain way you do things on the mound that you may have to adjust. What's that been like for you?
3: It's definitely something no one's going to get used to. Um, It's going to be kind of like that all year, I'm assuming. Um, it's just, you know, we're going to have to deal with it and um, everyone's dealing with it. So it's not like you can make excuses. So we're going to have to go out there and um, deal with what we have and play some baseball. That's it.
2: Souter says he goes to his armpit for moisture. What do you do?
3: I don't have a problem getting moisture. I, I sweat enough. <laughs> um, it's going to be very easy for me to get moisture. I don't need one of those rags to do that. So I won't have a problem.
2: Well, good, and I, I guess the biggest thing is Corey. And I probably shouldn't have started with this. I, I know the time off was, uh, you know, maybe frustrating for some, but for you, it, it afforded you an opportunity to get back toward a hundred percent, and uh, that, if nothing else, perhaps a blessing.
3: Yeah, it was. Uh, that extra three months really helped. Um, I mean, I came back, and I'm ready to go now. So, you know, of course, I would have had to go on rehab assignments and do all that, and be back around July. So now I'm based on the same time zones or time slots so yeah, it was a blessing in the skies i guess
2: were you able to do much uh, during the time off
3: yeah we had our, our place in austin um, we had a place where we were able to work out and throw out at uh, one of my workout partners uh, father-in-law's place so we had a nice setup and um, he built the mound, so we had had everything we needed
2: Well, I'm glad you're able to play a baseball game today. You guys must be sick of staying in the hotel room in Chicago, right? That's sort of the new normal with road trips.
3: Yeah, staying in the hotel, I mean, I'll be honest, I usually don't go out anywhere anyway unless my my wife and daughters are in town. So they're not here now, which is my normal when they're not here. I just stay in the hotel. So, you know, not too different.
2: Well, you'll take on the Cubs to begin the season here. Looking forward to first pitch tonight, a Friday night opening day for the Brewers, a home opener against the Cardinals on the 31st. Yeah, I know you'll be in Wrigley more often than you will be at Miller Park facing the Cubs. Does Homer Road really even matter anymore?
3: No, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it, it's still one of those things. I mean, you know, you're playing in Wrigley. You're playing at AT&T Park. Um you know, you still have those same feelings um, of where you're playing, but I mean, there's no place like home in Miller Park, so no fans or fans. It's, it's still a different environment in that stadium.
2: Cardboard cutouts are going to be fans. They have the uh, fake crowd noise being piped in. Ryan Braun still thinks he might get booed at Wrigley Field. Is that going to happen tonight?
3: <laughs> no. I mean, it's it's been going on since I've been here, so I mean, they can't stop it now, right? Yeah, right.
2: And even if they have to use the effects, right, just hit hit the brawn button and, and booze will start raining around yeah. Wrigley. <laughs>
3: That's right. I mean, fires them up, so keep them coming.
2: You know, one of the things, Corey, I was interested to watch throughout the course of the scrimmages is you know, just to see where pitchers were um, and watching yourself, watching Hayter, watching Corbin and Brandon Woodruff throw I don't know if pitchers are maybe a little ahead of hitters right now, but it seemed like pitching really showed itself well over those last several days at Miller Park and really even against the White Sox in the exhibition game.
3: Um, I mean, come on, we, we have – I I am going to talk about our pitching. I mean, we have a great pitching staff. That's what, that's what we have. and I mean, we have great hitters too, but it's just when great versus great collide, you know, it's just that's what goes on. Um, So, I mean, yeah, come on, Woody is, in my eyes, Woody is a a Cy Young pitcher. So, um, it's good to have him on the squad. Yeah, Corbin looks awesome right now. So, we've got a lot of good guys um, in the pen. A lot of guys that are going to do a lot of big
4: things this year.
2: Well, and Corey, the other big news out of baseball is the idea of expanded playoffs. And, uh, you know, this is sort of a last-minute deal, baseball able to get this in, but 16 teams versus 10, what do you make of that change?
3: I mean, it gives a lot of opportunities um, for teams that, you know, like everyone's said before, you know, if the if the last year was a 60-game season, the Nationals wouldn't have been in the playoffs. So, um, you know, that's exactly how it is. It gives it. Um, expanded playoffs, 16 teams, more chances for some teams that, you know, maybe got off to a slow 10-game start. I mean, a slow 10-game start is that's a lot of the season right there. I mean, that's a, what, a six of the season, I guess, if my math is correct. So, um, yeah, it, this expanded playoffs is going to be uh, going to be pretty important this year. We're going to see some good baseball in October.
2: Well, we're looking forward to getting the season started tonight, Corey. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, not only are you uh, a healthy with a major league yacker and a father of two you are by far the best looking human being on the milwaukee brewers roster there's no doubt about that yeah. well thank you greg
3: happy honor from you. <laughs>
2: happy opening day my friend we'll talk to you soon
3: thank you greg appreciate it man
2: wow
1: greg matzik showing his uh his bro crush on uh, Corey cory very exciting thank you greg thank you Corey. we're going to talk a lot of baseball today after I take this break, I want to talk to you about this aspect of the game. There's reports that Fox Sports is now going to put virtual fans in the stands. You heard Greg talking about cardboard cutouts, piped-in sound. Uh, let's get into this. Do we really need it? We'll discuss. 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to hear from you after this. 620 WTMJ.
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: It's Brian Noonan in for Jeff Wagner. Jeff has the day off. Happy opening day. Oh, my goodness. The Brewers finally back in action tonight at Wrigley Field against the Cubs. You can hear all the action starting with Brewers game day coverage at 5.30 here on WTMJ. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about this. Now, I, I firmly believe that listening to baseball on the radio is the best way to do it anyway. There's something something beautiful about being able to listen in your yard, in your car, wherever. Baseball kinds of lends itself to... To, to radio. And so, yes, I'm biased, of course I am. But news came out yesterday that on the other side, you know, TV, where they used pictures to tell the story, Fox Sports has announced that it is going to employ technology to give stadium seating virtual fans, starting tomorrow with their quadruple header of games, which includes the Brewers and the Cubs tomorrow. So tonight you will not see these virtual fans, but tomorrow you will see these fans, and I don't think this is a good idea. This is dumb. Are we fooled? Here's here's what I think we should do with the season this year, with all the sports. We need to embrace the weird. Think about that for a minute. Embrace the weird. This is a season unlike any that we've seen, and I'm I'm guessing any that we're going to see anywhere down the road. 2020 is going to be weird for so many reasons, whether it's the records, whether it's the amount of games for baseball, you know, 60 instead of 162. Uh, All the sports are making these huge adjustments. So let's just embrace it. Ride it out and see where it goes. First of all, we don't even know. We've got our fingers crossed. We hope everything goes great and the seasons are able to go their full length that you know they're slated to go, but we don't know. So why go to this trouble and try to pretend and create the illusion that everything is just as it should be because it's not it's weird we don't need we don't need to see or i don't need to i don't know if you do i don't need to see virtual fans in the sta- in the stands i'm not looking at the fans in the stands anyway if i'm watching a game on television i'm watching the game now do i like an occasional cutaway shot to uh, somebody doing something stupid in the stands sure that's okay who doesn't like to see a kid eating an ice cream out of a helmet that's always, oh, that's lovely. Or when somebody catches a, a blazing foul ball with their mouth. We all like to see those shots. But that's not the most important. Now, I get for the broadcasters, it's much easier to have fans in the stands because it gives you something to react to. And in a little while, I'll be talking to Lane Grindle, and you know that'll come up. How How are they going to fill all that time? But as a viewer, as a fan, do you need all this stuff? I know the players say they're used to playing in front of crowds. They're used to crowd noise. They're being piped in. They're used to having people there screaming and yelling. But I I don't think they really need it. I think they'll be able to play. It's a nice bonus to have that, but they'll be able to play without all that stuff. You know, they'll still talk smack to each other and they'll be able to jaw back and forth and have a good time with each other, but they don't need they don't need all of this. So embrace the weird. What do you think of it? Do you want to see virtual fans doing the wave? I don't want to see real fans doing the wave. But now we've got virtual fans going, "Hey, we for, we forget it. Oh, we're pretending. Are we that? Are we that dumb that we're? They think the wool is going to be pulled over our eyes. That's actually what I'm afraid of. That there are some people. You know the people who don't want to socially distant, distance, they, they think everything is gone. They're going to see virtual fans in the stands and then say, well, look, those people got to go to the game. How come I can't go to the game? And why aren't those people wearing masks? It didn't, it didn't appear from what I saw on the news last night that these virtual fans are going to be wearing masks. And what kind of message does that send? Not a good one, I would say. Not the message that we're trying to try to send to everybody in the free world to uh, tell them, listen, masks are the way to go. Uh, now the the only good news is Fox Sports Wisconsin is a regional sports network, so it doesn't it doesn't appear that this may that this technology is going to be on the national level yet. But I would imagine if if it catches on, if they get some good reaction to it. All of a sudden, everybody's going to be doing it. I think it's ridiculous. I think we need to embrace the weird. What do you think? 1-855-616-1620. I'll get your opinion on the other side. It's 620 WTMJ.
0: Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: It's Brian Noonan in for Jeff today. Think back to April. We were at the very beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Things were... Still, A lot lots still unknown, but things were really unknown back then, and it was time on April 7th for the presidential primary here in Wisconsin, and there was a lot of discussion about should the election be pushed back, should, what changes should be made. Well, it went on as scheduled, and as you remember, it did not go smoothly. Uh what have we learned about that what changes are going to be made in November? Reed Magney is the public information officer for the Wisconsin Elections Commission. He joins me now on WTMJ. Hi Reed, thanks for taking some time today.
5: Glad to join you.
1: So, what's the biggest lesson that we learned from the April primaries?
5: Time is our friend. Um, you know, we tried to do so much in such a short period of time in late march and early april that um that led to just so many problems um we have you know immediately after that we started looking what can we learn from this situation what can we do to be ready for both um, august and november and our hope is that by being prepared we can get people um, who want to vote by absentee their ballots in time um so they can vote them return them if there's any problems things can be corrected um, so being prepared and having time is the most important thing.
1: Well, let's stay on that absentee and voting by mail, because the governor has said that the best thing that happened since April was, uh, the, or in April, was that more people voted by mail. A lot of debate on this, on the absentees, on the voting by mail. Uh, where, do you, where do you think it's going to go? How much do you think it's going to increase? And what are the plans for vote by mail in Wisconsin?
5: It's really hard to say exactly what um, what's going to happen in November because we don't know what November is going to look like. In April, um, we went from you know typically six percent of the people voting by mail, absentee by mail, to sixty percent, and there were a lot of people who hadn't done it that way before, weren't familiar with the process, and again, the deadlines were um, very tight. The deadlines were moving. There was confusion, et cetera. Um, you know, we typically have about 3 million people vote um, in a um, presidential election. And, you know, if we have half of those people vote by absentee, that's a million and a half. We had about 1.1 million voting by absentee in um, in April. So that gives you some relative numbers. So we've, we've had a huge... I realized that that's been at some uh, cost to clerks um, who just worked incredible overtime time um, and made some really, you know, uh, critical personal sacrifices to, to make sure that votes got counted.
1: Well, that was part. There was an issue. They were saying there were a lot of ballots that weren't delivered or that were lost during the primary. What additional measures are you taking to ensure that that doesn't happen again or to try to at least cut, cut down on that?
5: Sure, so one of the things that we've done is we've um, built in what's known as intelligent mail barcodes to the mailing, and, to the mailing uh, labels that go on absentee ballot envelopes. So um, for the, um, for the uh, August election, the outgoing uh, mailings to voters Many of them had those um, Intelligent Mail barcodes on them that will allow um, the clerks to know essentially where your ballot is. And if you go to our um, My Vote Wisconsin website, um, you know voters can also track that as they go along. For the November um, elections, we're also going to have Intelligent Mail barcodes on the return mailing labels. So when you've got your ballot and you return it, you'll be able to see, oh, okay, it arrived at the clerk's office. Um, one of the things that clerks told us after the election is that uh, for almost every um, absentee request they got, there was two phone calls that came. One, did, people calling, did you get my request? And another <laughs> one is like, "Did you?" I sent back my ballot, did you get it? And that took them a long time, you know, a lot of time to look all that information up to serve those voters. Our hope is that by putting that information on our My Vote Wisconsin website, People will be able to, you know, to sort of do self service, just like you would, you know, normally track where your um, Amazon package is, or whatever, you know, whatever you're ordering online.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Reed Magney is my guest; he's the public information officer for the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Now, you mentioned earlier, Reed, that a lot of people had never voted by mail before; they haven't done absentee before; they're they're uh, you know just unaware of how to do this. So, the election commission is sending out an informational mailer. What's what's on this mailer? And what what information do we need to give to the public?
5: So in early September, um, about two point six million um, registered voters will get this mailer, and these are the people who haven't already requested an absentee ballot. The mailer is going to tell you that you've got three options to vote coming up for November. One, you can vote in person on Election Day, just like most people normally have. You can vote um, early absentee in your clerk's office if you want to do that there's about a two-week window now before election day when you can do that and then finally you also have the option of voting absentee by mail and the easiest way it's going to tell you that the easiest way to do that is to go to the my vote Wisconsin website and make your request online but for those who don't have access to a computer or don't want to do it that way we're going to include a um, request form for people as well as a postage-paid envelope to return that.
1: And are there requirements or certain guidelines for to allow you to vote absentee?
5: Well, so in Wisconsin, since the year two thousand, uh, we have not. We don't require an excuse to vote absentee. You don't have to say I'm going to be out of town, or I can't get off of work, or I'm sick, or something like that. anybody can um, request an absentee ballot. Um, so but one of the, the important things is that it, when you're voting absentee by mail, if you're doing it for the first time, most voters have to provide a copy of their photo ID. Just like you normally show your photo ID at the polling right. place, you've got to provide a copy of it. And if you, if you have a smartphone if you, um, it, it, and you go to our MyVote Wisconsin website, it's very easy. The one, when you're filling out the form on your phone, the, it's going to ask you, can I use your camera? And you pull out your driver license.
1: Oh, did we lose? Uh, did we lose a read? That and it, yes. Ah, there you are. Okay, you dropped out for a second. So you were saying oh, people? It'll ask if uh, people if you can access their camera. They'll hold up their driver's license, and then that's how they'll upload their their picture of their ID.
5: Exactly. Exactly. So if you, uh, um, so that that works really slick, but we also realize that some people don't have that um, ability, and so you're going to need to take some steps to get a get a copy of your photo ID made. Whether it's you know going to a copy store, if if you even have an old-fashioned film camera, you can take a picture of your photo ID, get your get get your picture developed, um, and get your picture back and send it, send that with your application. Um, so people are going to have. It's going to take some planning, which is why we're sending this out in early September uh, to give people some time to make their request, get those ballots set out.
1: Now, there were some ballots, uh, some mail-ins that are they were considered invalid. What, what would invalidate a mail-in ballot? Can you hear me? No. Right, now you're back.
5: Okay. Yeah, you were asking about ballots. I'm assuming you're talking about ballots that were lost at the post office.
1: Well, or just that that, that come in and they're considered invalid. There were there's a couple ways that oh, uh, sure. the ballots can be considered invalid. Correct?
5: Yeah. Well, it's not so much invalid, but um, but not. Um, so basically, the impo- the things. W- there's an envelope that you send your ballot back in, and on on the back side of that, there's a certificate you have to fill out. You have to sign it, and you have to have somebody who witnesses your ballot. And they have to, they have to, um, you know, uh, sign it and then they have to provide their address. And really the majority of problems of reasons why ballots weren't counted back in April was because people either didn't sign it themselves or they didn't have a witness. Okay. And, you know, some, again, people, we were in sort of in this fog of, of people were, con, were, you know, self-confining. They didn't have anybody they knew who could help them do it um there, there were some court decisions that said you didn't have to do that and then another court an appeals court said no you have to do it so our hope is that all of the rules will be in place we, people will know what the requirements are they will have time to get a witness um if you know uh, and have that taken care of
1: right i'm sure the elections commission is ordering in a lot of extra based on the predicted demand for absentee ballots well, so it's
5: the, so it's the county clerks are the ones who are responsible for ordering and printing the ballots. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a, an absentee ballot is essentially just the same as a regular ballot. There are some clerks who who order them, you know, pre-folded from the printer, so they can easily go into an envelope to, just to sort of save that manual labor. But a, a regular ballot, is like an absentee ballot, um, so they but they make, need to make sure they have enough. They also need to have to make sure they have enough envelopes too.
1: Right. So a lot of extra office supplies. Uh, Reed Magnes, my guest, he's the public information officer for the Wisconsin Elections Commission. Before I let you go, Reed, uh, Milwaukee went from 180 polling places to five in April. Uh, it was a huge issue. Obviously, we're at the, we were at the beginning of this pandemic. Nobody knew. There was a lot of uh, worry. How is that going to be addressed throughout the state as we move into November, where You know, at this point, as you mentioned before, we still don't know where the virus is going to be, how much it's going to be affecting us leaving our houses, us going about our regular business. What's the plan at this point to keep polling places open?
5: Well, so my understanding is that Milwaukee is planning to staff 170 polling places. And, um, Green Bay is all, I don't know exactly what numbers Green Bay is working with, but they have also, their, their city council got involved, the community got involved. They're making sure that they've got polling places open. But Milwaukee and Green Bay were really the two issues with long lines in, um, in April. So, um, uh, they're working on that. We're proactively talking with clerks, trying to find, make sure that they've got the poll workers they need. You know, if you, if you want to help out and become a poll worker, you can go, you just call, call your municipal clerk's office, tell them that you're interested in working. Otherwise, you can go to our My Vote Wisconsin website. There's a little widget on there you can click to learn how to become a poll worker and to um, send a message to your municipal clerk's office saying you want to volunteer.
1: All right. Well, Reed, I appreciate all the time today, and uh, I'm going to ask you to make a prediction about how... Things will improve in November.
5: Thanks very much for having me.
1: So things are things are going to look good come November as compared to April. We're going to be much smoother.
5: I, I certainly hope so. Again, time is our friend. Um, yep. We've got a lot of we, we're doing an awful lot of planning. We're planning an educational campaign to help people understand the um, the process of filling out an absentee ballot, getting it witnessed, all of those sorts of things. So. Um, We are. We're working. We are not taking the summer off. I can tell you that.
1: Well, that's excellent news, Reed. Thanks for taking time again today. I do appreciate it. We will talk to you again very soon. And if you want information, if you missed any of that, go to myvotewisconsin.com. You can get all the information on absentee ballots. Uh, If you want to sign up to help uh, be a poll worker, that's all there. All the information you need. Myvotewisconsin.com. We talked about with Reed all the big increase in absentee ballots people voting by mail that's been a huge debate is it go- is it good for the country to vote by mail you heard the governor had said yes this is this was a, a very positive thing 855-616-1620 come november are you going to stand in line or have you decided already you know what i'm going to avail myself of something that's a little bit easier whether it's because of health concerns or just that I don't want to go stand in line or I don't know how many polling places will be open, I'm gonna vote by mail. What's your plan come November? eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Lines Brian Noonan in for Jeff Wagner six twenty WTMJ.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Brian Noonan for Jeff Wagner. All right, we just talked to uh, Reed Magney from the Wisconsin Elections Commission. He was talking about the huge, huge increase in absentee voting, voting by mail. I'm wondering, come November, if you are going to avail yourself of this, because we know what a nightmare it was in April. Now, as Reed said, and I agree, time is everybody's friend. A lot has been learned since April as we go into November. Uh, according to him, Milwaukee polling places... They're planning on 170, which would be a huge increase since there were five in April. One eight five five six one six one six twenty is the Akron Mortgage Talk at text line. I want to hear from you, Mike? Is in New Berlin. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um,
6: my wife and I live in Wauwatosa, and we're planning on voting early at the polling place. We did it in April. It worked out really, really well. And we're looking at the possibility of uh, signing up to become poll workers. We uh, okay. live in a senior housing area, actually, in San Camillo. And uh, so we don't know what they would think about that. We're hoping that they wouldn't mind. But, um, yeah, we're uh, we're definitely not going to stand in line on Election Day.
1: Now, now had you, previous to this last election in April, had you voted early or done it an alternative way before, or had you always been uh, a guy who went on Election Day?
6: Both of us had always gone on Election Day, but up until this last election, we lived out in East Troy. Okay. So it was a little easier? We We were actually out in the rural part of East Troy, so there was never a line more than about five people.
1: Okay, so yeah, I think Mike, thank you for the call. Uh, I think early voting is great too. This, for the first time uh, in the November election, we are going. My wife and I are going to vote by mail, and I'm not. You know, I'm not worried. I know there's a lot of uh, debate over whether. You know, oh my goodness, you know, mail-in ballots—they are going to cause a lot of corruption. Even though all the numbers and all the studies say there has there is no proof that there is all uh, any of that is a feasible worry. But I'm looking forward to it. I, I have always been a go-to-the-polls-on-Election-Day voter. There's something about that. I like getting my little sticker. I like standing in line, even though, unfortunately, a lot of times when I would go to the polls, there was never a line, which always made me a little bit sad. But this year, because I don't want to go stand in a church basement with a lot of other people, I'm going to I'm going to vote early. Uh, I, I'll be honest, though, there's some trepidation, and I don't know if you feel this as well. That you know, oh no, I'm going to mail in my ballot. Is it really going to? Is it really going to get there? Is it really going to be counted? Now I know uh, when we talked to Reed, he said there's barcodes, so you'll be able to track your ballot, just like you would if you tracked any anything that you order online, which I think is a good thing, because who doesn't want to know when their when their vote gets to the clerk's office? Who doesn't want to know where where your ballot is? Everybody does, but I I also had those worries when I was just going in and voting um, voting at the polling place. That's why this, sometimes I truly uh, do feel like a luddite, and I wonder if you do this too. I always insisted on the paper ballot. I didn't trust the touchscreen. I don't know why. Uh, maybe because they only had a couple at my polling place, and it didn't. It just didn't seem. Uh, Good enough. There, there was too much. We've all had, you know, we've all tried to order something online and our computer crashes. You've been on your iPad, you're trying to touch the screen, nothing happens. I didn't want that to happen to my ballot, so I always go with the uh, with the paper ballot uh, because I'm very old school and that I like my I like my voting, like I like everything else. Old school. It was good enough for all this time. Now it's good enough for me to uh, for me to keep going. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. All you need to know is you need to vote. I shouldn't have to say that. But, uh, you know, when when the numbers come out and there's only 3 million people voting in all of Wisconsin for the presidential election, that's not uh, that's not a lot. I have a feeling the turnout will be bigger this year, but I also worry because nobody knows what's going on with the pandemic and the virus and social distancing and all of that if people are going to go. So avail yourself. And, again, go to MyVoteWisconsin.com. Uh, and get all the information. You can become a poll worker. You can register. You can uh, find out where you're going to vote. You can vote absentee. Everything you need to know to be a good citizen. And don't uh, you know? Oh, I don't believe in either candidate. I'm not going to vote. Now that's that's a cop out. You got to vote. So go to My Vote Wisconsin. Get all the information you need, and then decide whether or not you are going to vote in person or vote absentee. You don't have to give a reason anymore. You don't even have to try to make one up. It's fantastic. On the other side of the news, we're going to get back to baseball because it is opening day. One of the members of the great radio broadcast team for the Brewers, Lane Grindle, will join me. We'll uh, get to that. And then at 1.30, U.S. Congresswoman Gwen Moore is going to join me because there is a big financial issue on a lot of people's minds today. So we'll talk to uh, the Congresswoman about all of that on the other side. But now let's take a quick break. Then it'll be news time on WTMJ.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, it's opening day on The Jeff Wagner Show, sponsored by Outdoor Living Unlimited and Sentry Foods. Bear ball down the right field line. Fly ball deep right. Holy smokes. Third deck. And now, in for Jeff Wagner, here is your host, Brian Noonan.
1: Happy opening day, 1-855-616-1620 one eight five five six one six one six twenty 1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's how you get a hold of me. Brewers game day coverage begins tonight at 5.30 right here on WTMJ. And alongside Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering, my next guest will be one of the dulcet tones that you hear pumping out of your radio. Lane Grindle joins me right now. Lane, thanks for taking some time. Happy opening day.
4: Brian, happy opening day to you. It's uh it's so fun that we're actually here. We're, we're finally at opening day. We've been waiting for it for a, lot, a long time, haven't we?
1: Yeah, we have. And uh, go. let's go back to March and April when things were really starting to get pushed back. Did you ever think this day was going to come?
4: I wasn't sure, to be honest with you. I mean, everything kind of happened so fast, and, and it was such an unknown that we were dealing with. There was no template for how to deal with it, um, and there still isn't to some degree. Um, and, and so I just I really wasn't sure. I remember not having one thought in my mind that the season could get delayed until March 11th. And on March 11th, Jeff Levering and I did a spring training game against the Dodgers at Camelback Ranch. And as I was driving to the ballpark, it struck me that like, hey, they could they could end up putting a pause on this thing. like maybe maybe we won't play the rest of spring training. And then by the time I sat down in my seat at the ballpark, some of the news in the NBA was starting to come out. Tom Hanks had right. been, uh, you know, come out with his COVID uh, diagnosis. And then I was like, I don't think we are going to get through spring training at this point. I think this is going to get shut down. And of course the next day that's exactly what happened. And and so it all that all happened so fast. And then you, you travel home and you're kind of playing this waiting game and Uh, it it was just it was so hard to fathom what we were dealing with and when we would even play baseball Uh, I just tried to be optimistic uh, the entire time and hope that we would get to a place where we'd have baseball and I'm so glad that's where we're at now
1: I think we all are and all right so Lane, you you come home they say the season is uh, postponed we don't know what's going on do you keep doing your prep or be honest did you just kick back and go yeah I'll look at things in a couple months if we start up again
4: I did a lot of fishing. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I really did. I got on the water a lot. I fished. I tried to follow the news of the day from a baseball perspective as much as I could. Um, but no, I mean, you're, there's not a lot to do in terms of prepping for the season. You've done most of that by the time you get right. to spring training and throughout the course of spring training. And so you're kind of, you're kind of sitting back hoping for some good news. That's really what you're doing as much as anything. There were, there were other things that I was able to do for the club here and there, uh, host some Zoom chats and do some player interviews and things of that nature. And those were fun. Those were days I looked forward to, uh, reaching out to fans and, and encouraging them to hang in there because we're going to get to baseball at some point. I really enjoyed that stuff because it felt like it kind of kept me connected with the fans and the, and the team and, and the, and the game in general. But uh, there's only so much you can do during that downtime, so I did. I found water as much as I could, and I and I, <laughs> I fished as much as I could.
1: <laughs> Very good. Lane Grindle is my guest. You'll hear him tonight as part of the uh, Brewers Game Day coverage right here on WTMJ, starting at 5.30. All right, now, any other, any other season? Today you'd be in Chicago getting ready for the opening day broadcast, and I'm sure on the road you used to have, and even at home, game day uh, rituals. Uh, a way to... Yep. Prepare for the big game. How has that changed since tonight? It'll just be you guys sitting in a box at an empty ballpark.
4: Yeah, it's it, it's definitely changed. I mean, one thing that'll be consistent is one of my rituals is at least every other day. I, my I'm thirty nine, so my body won't let me do it every day, but I try to get up and get a run in and okay. kind of get the blood flowing a little bit, get my lungs expanded and. And, and just break a little bit of a sweat. That's that's usually how I like to start my day. It gives me a little bit of energy, kind of clears my mind, and, and gets me ready to go. And then from there, I might uh, sit down and read a little bit about, you know, what's going on with the opposition at that point. So I sit down, read a little bit about the Cubs. I can still do all that stuff, you know, at home. Uh, sure. It's just a little different because it's not, you know, up, up Lakeshore – in Chicago, uh, that I'm doing my run with, and I'm not sitting at a, at a hotel room or in a hotel room, but, uh, then, then I grab some lunch and then I start, you know, maybe a little bit of downtime and then mid afternoon, I'm early to mid afternoon. I'm starting to make my way to the ballpark. And that's pretty much the same thing here. The difference is when you get to the ballpark, it's different. Uh, when you get to the ballpark in traditional times, you're going to the clubhouse, you're finding your interview, you're talking to guys, you're going to maybe stand around the cage a little bit during batting practice, and we're not doing that anymore. So probably, I anticipate, maybe not at first, because there's so much newness to how we're doing this, but I think as we get more and more comfortable with how we're going to be calling these games, I think we'll probably start arriving at the ballpark a little bit later because a lot of the work that we're going to do now, we're going to be able to do from home, uh, whether it's Zoom interviews and things of that nature, but I think at least for these first couple of weeks as we're getting our feet wet with calling games off monitors and getting comfortable with it, we'll try to stick to a more traditional schedule just because we'll wanna be as comfortable as we possibly can before first pitch happens.
1: Alright, well you mentioned it. Let's get let's get to the nuts and bolts of how you guys are gonna do this because radio radio is a lot more difficult to call. You you are working to create a theater of the mind, which is why I think baseball sounds so great on the radio. Yeah. you're used to being able to see the whole yard as you look out you can you talk about everything that's going on now for the first time you're gonna be working off monitors with whatever angle they feed you back uh, is there a way to prepare for that have you been practicing at home like every kid when they thought about being a sportscaster was calling games off the television have you been doing that or how are you how are you making the adjustment to go from seeing everything to seeing a little box
4: yeah, I've done I've done a little bit of that, Brian. I've 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 called a little bit of uh, TV down, call the game just to kind of get you know mental reps, so to speak, just to get your your uh, mind in the place of calling play by play again because it's been a while since I've even called play by play. Obviously, since since spring training. The other part is um, uh, video games. Uh, to be honest with you, my son and I play uh, RBI baseball on the Xbox and and he insists that I call the game. <laughs> while, oh, wow, okay. And so that's been kind of a fun thing that, that I've done to try to at least stay somewhat um, locked in on, on this craft. But um, I have done a little bit of that. It, this is going to be an adjustment, but I will tell you this, I, and I, I I don't think it's going to be immediate. I think there's going to be an uncomfort, uh, an uncomfortable level to this for the first week or two at least because we're going to have to get our eyes trained to looking at a TV monitor versus looking out over the field. And there's just going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of uncomfort- uncomfortable feelings, I think, in the first uh, week or two of, of doing games this way. But once we get adjusted to that, and I think we're going to be able to, I really do, I think we're going to be able to really produce a great product. And, 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 and maybe I'm being too harsh by saying it's going to take a couple of weeks. It might only take a game or two. When you think about our broadcasts, and I think this is important for everybody listening to understand, when you listen to our broadcasts, I really think that people are going to be able to forget about the fact that there's no fans in the stands because there is crowd noise that's going to be pumped in. You're going to be hearing that. You're going to be hearing some atmosphere, and you're going to hear us calling the game. And while every once in a while we may have a half-second delay on a ball hit in the air because we're not going to know immediately if it's getting out like we might know if we're at the ballpark, I don't think for the most part, those things are going to come through to the listener. I think you're going to be able to listen to us. You're going to hear Yuke telling his jokes and telling his great stories. You're going to hear Jeff and I typically laughing at those things. <laughs> um, I, I think it's going to sound pretty normal to people on the radio. And I, I really believe that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to gravitate towards the radio call over the course of the next couple of months, because it's going to sound very similar to what they've heard in the past, even though the way we're doing it is going to be different. I think once we make these adjustments, I think everybody's going to turn it on and, and, and it's not going to sound that much different to them. That's my goal. That's my hope. I know that's probably the same for you and Jeff, and I think we're going to be able to deliver on that before it's all said and done.
1: Well, I, I have no doubt that that's the case. You mentioned the crowd noise. How do you feel about the crowd noise being pumped in? Is that something, is that, something that you think the players really need? Is it more for the listening audience? Is it, is it to give you guys a, a second to adjust to where things are?
4: I think it's all those things, to be honest with you. I was skeptical of it when they first started talking about it, but I've been in the ballpark over the last couple of weeks when it's been piped in, and I think it's a huge difference. And I think it's a very big positive thing for the atmosphere, but but also for the play on the field. Um, From the standpoint of the players, when they are trying to communicate on the field, there's a lot of things they're trying to communicate, maybe between shortstop and second base or shortstop and third base that they don't want the batter to hear. Maybe it's something about what pitch is about to come because the shortstop can see into the catcher and he can see, hey, off-speed's coming, so he might give a little whistle to the third baseman so he knows he can cheat maybe another step closer to the line. Well, if if there's no crowd noise, the batter hears that, and now he knows he's not getting a fastball. That's a problem. So I think it's going to be easier with the crowd noise piped in for the guys in the field to be able to communicate with one another. And I think that's clearly very important. I think from our standpoint, too, it will lift our voices a little bit. It will give us a little bit more sense of urgency, a little bit more energy when we're calling the game, versus falling into maybe sounding like we just poured a glass of wine and we're sitting back <laughs> watching. know, I mean, I, I think you do want that no, edge, makes That makes, right? that that makes sense,
1: because if there's nobody there reacting, that is, you know, it's just you guys sitting there. It, it, yep. You're right, it could fall into that pattern of oh yeah we're very laid back
4: right and I think you want to keep that edge you want to be on the the edge of your seat and when a great play is made you want to be just as excited as you would be when you're listening to the fans react to it in in normal times so I I think it's going to provide all those things I think it's going to be a, a very positive thing and I'm glad that they're doing it
1: all right, before I let you go, Lane, what are you most excited about for the team this year, and what do you think the fans should be the most excited about, other than the fact that baseball is back starting tonight?
4: I think they should be excited about the pitching. I've, I've been really impressed with what I saw in summer camp. Now they got to do it in the regular season, of course, but uh, I just I was blown away with how good Corbin Burns looked during summer camp. He looked really sharp. I'm excited to see him get the ball tomorrow. Brandon Woodruff looks like he's about to take that step into being an ace, I think Adrian Hauser is poised to have a really good year for for the Brewers. So I I really like this group. Eric Lauer, I think, when he gets his arm built all the way up, is going to be another really good piece. I think this has got a chance to be a nice rotation and a very under-the-radar rotation in the National League. I think we all know they have a great bullpen led by Josh Hader, but I think this rotation is going to surprise people before it's all said and done.
1: All right, so we'll be watching the pitching. We'll be listening to the game tonight, starting at 5.30 right here on WTMJ. Lane, have a great call tonight. Uh, Good luck with all the adjustments. I know you guys are going to do a fantastic job, and I appreciate you taking a little time this
4: afternoon. Hey, appreciate you having me, and we're excited to do it. We're just glad we're calling baseball.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. All right, Lane, we'll, we'll talk to you soon, and we'll be listening to you tonight. Thanks again.
4: You bet. Thank you.
1: That's Lane Grindle, along with uh, Jeff Levering and, of course, Bob Uke going into his 50th season. Bob will be on the call tonight, Uh, even though it is a road game throughout the season. You know, Uke is uh, not going to be doing the road games, but he's going to be doing the home games, and he's going to be there tonight. The Brewers game day coverage starts here on 620 WTMJ at 530. All right, I asked Lane this, but I'm asking you now. What are you most excited about going into this shortened season for the Brewers and also how are you celebrating opening day? We, we've we been hearing on the news, uh, everybody's been talking about it. Well, normally we tailgate, normally we do this, you know. 855-616-1620. How are you celebrating opening day? And what are you most excited about, about this season? Give me a call, we'll talk to you next, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on
0: WTMJ.
1: Thanks again to Link Grindle, and you can hear the call tonight starting at 5.30. That's when Brewers Game Day coverage begins here on 620 WTMJ. It's a weird opening day because we're not able to do what we normally do. Usually, if I'm not at a tailgate at the uh, park, I'm in a bar watching the game with friends. Uh, I'm doing neither one of those today, as and, and probably neither are you. But. If you want, we're going to be, uh, we'll t- take this question throughout the show at 855-616-1620. What are you doing to commemorate opening day? Uh, you can uh, drop me a line and let me know about that. It's been, uh, it's a strange thing because I mentioned this at the top of the show, and opening day for baseball is different than any opening day in other sports. And I was trying to figure out why, and I was uh, talking to my wife about it, and I mentioned it to a couple friends, why do we put so much emphasis on, on baseball opening day and I know at least here in the Midwest it's because it means summer is coming and that's the easy answer yes spring training comes and we start to see the light at the end of the tunnel weather-wise and then we get into the season and it's warm and we and that that's great and we know that when baseball ends the cold weather's coming back so we get very excited about baseball but I think it goes deeper than that and my wife mentioned this Uh, she said it's a generational thing and i believe that it is something that connects all of us if you think about how you came to be introduced to baseball for her she grew up in michigan and she watched tigers games with her grandparents and so that's how she became a baseball fan and i remember going to my first game with my dad and there's the magic of walking into the field for the first time into the stands and seeing that diamond lay out in front of you and the, the vividness of the field and all of that. And I get that feeling to this day. So I think that's why we have a different connection to baseball and to opening day of this sport than we do to anything else. And there's listen, it's not for everybody. There's a lot of critics of baseball, the pace and all of this. But there's something inbred in us to say this is an exciting day. And it's definitely an exciting day here. Uh, We're going to go to the news in just a couple of minutes after a break. But I've got to, uh, I'll tell you what we're going to talk about after. And if you are one of the millions of Americans who are suffering through unemployment, I know you'll want to hear this. We'll do that after this at 620 WTMJ.
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Brian Noonan for Jeff Wagner. There's been a lot of talk now as is there going to be another stimulus bill to help people get through COVID-19? Are you going to get another $1,200 check? The big question for millions of Americans today is, hey, that uh, extra unemployment money, that extra $600 a week, that's stopping today. It's the last day. Uh, Is that going to continue? What's going to go on? Uh, I don't know. But uh, somebody who's been working hard to figure it out is U.S. Congresswoman Gwen Moore. She's from Wisconsin's 4th Congressional District, a member of the House Ways and Means Committee. They handle all that unemployment money. She's also on the Oversight Committee and the Congressional Progressive Caucus and a whole lot more. Uh, Representative Moore, thank you for taking time this afternoon. Good to talk to you. Hey, glad to be with you, Jeff. All right, oh, Jeff's not here, it's Brian, but I'm glad you're here. Um, now, before oh, we yeah, talk yeah. about money, uh, before we talk about money, last week uh, we lost a hero in Georgia, Congressman uh, John Lewis. Can you share your feelings about that, on that loss and your experiences working with the congressman?
7: Oh, my goodness. Just, just let me tell you, John Lewis, uh, for everything that's really been said about him, I think the most important insights came from his own mouth. Uh, in 1968, when he had kind of gotten out of the movement a little bit uh, because Stokely Carmichael had beaten him out as leader of the, the uh, of SNCC, the, the, the youth component of the civil rights movement. Uh, but that year when Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed and then Bobby Kennedy was killed, and of course, John Lewis was right there when it happened, you know, uh, the grief was overwhelming, but he realized that that was a message directly to him that he had to stand up and pick up the, the you know, pick up the battle uh, from where he was and keep moving. And, it, and he did right to the end. And I learned that with John, uh, with John Lewis, I was in good trouble with him. Went to jail with him. Uh, you know, sat uh, sat on the floor illegally on the floor, taking over the House floor with him, getting in really good trouble. Was really uh, just based totally on moral, ethical principles. Uh, and of course, I don't think you can find a Republican uh, around anywhere who would say anything different than what I've said.
1: Which is an amazing thing that there's a, a gentleman like Congressman Lewis who can, he, he was truly one of those leaders who could work both sides of the aisle. Everybody respected him because he, He worked with integrity.
7: And that was it. And, I mean, he was a a Democrat, so he was a partisan, uh, Mm -hmm. but he was never – his mission was never to be the attack dog. It was always to be the moral authority in the room. And, you know, and when discussions got really heated, you know, John Lewis was always somebody to kind of do it. I mean, he was not a wimp, uh, but he (laughs) was somebody that really had that moral authority. Uh, someone once said, God, John used to show up at meetings with Band-Aids on his head. She, they don't know why, but they'd always beat him about the head, <laughs> never in the leg or the arm. <laughs> you know?
1: Trying but, to silence uh, those ideas. Yeah, 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 exactly.
7: And so it really is, you know, he had an opportunity, I mean, it, it, to get a little bit biblical about it with regard to, you know, going to the mountaintop. I mean, he was able to stand on that Black Lives Matter plaza, you know, and look over into the promised land. And even though he wasn't going to get to to be to see the future, you know, he 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 went to the mountaintop, as it were, uh, in his own way. And I am I'm just so proud to have known him, served him. I was on that oversight committee, as you said. Uh, uh, on the Ways and Means Committee certainly was looking forward to getting into a lot of good trouble with him uh, on that, um, but we will carry on. Yep.
1: Well, it is an incredible legacy. Uh, let's turn our attention to what most Americans are worried about now: uh, between jobs and money. Uh, the House in in May passed a 3.5 trillion dollar coronavirus response bill. It has never seen the floor of the Senate. What was what about the major obstacles keeping the Senate from moving that original bill forward?
7: Thank you for just being real direct with the question, and thanks for pointing out that we passed this bill in May, yeah. uh, anticipating this moment. Um, the misery index, by the way, is really high. I am very concerned about the evictions that are occurring and that we're going to be seeing. You know people basic necessities no fault of their own uh, uh at risk uh and uh, these benefits run out now while uh the senate fiddles, uh I, I i i think some of the main obstacles of they're not wanting to do it i think number one just as an ideological difference uh and belief system about this pandemic there's this notion that it's just going to disappear and not be around, and we're going to open the economy magically, uh, and people are going to go back to work, and they won't need this unemployment insurance. As a matter of fact, the the package that the Republicans have come out with is uh, really uh, wants to not provide the $600, which is nothing, um, uh, because they say that, that's too much. And, and you right. know, they have this notion that there'll be some moral hazard in getting people to... to Force people back into the workplace despite whether or not uh, the science speaks differently. So it's philosophical. There are other elements of the bill I think that they don't like. They don't like state and local governments uh, getting money. I think that they have mistakenly characterized all state and local government that desperately needs to be reimbursed for the tremendous expenses they've already had for COVID and cannot go bankrupt. Thank you very much. Um, as all blue uh, 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 urban areas. And that's just it's not true, uh, that there are areas that desperately need it. We can't even think about opening up schools. Uh, we, we provided money for, for states for schools. We could have spent this entire summer retrofitting schools and putting together plans and strategies for opening up schools when they do. That, that hasn't occurred. Um, and, of course, employee safety uh, hasn't been uh, a concern. So this latest package focuses on giving people some portion of the unemployment insurance. But I think they also don't want to give money for the elections. We have heard the president complain about how he perceives it to be, although it's not based on any evidence of any kind that anybody has ever seen that there would be great fraud involved in mail-in voting. And there's a, a piece of the HEROES Act, which provides money to stand up the state and local governments. There is no federal government big brother election. They're all our little <laughs> county clerks who do this. And they, right. they actually need employees. They need equipment. You know, they need ink to print it. Um, and the post office needs to be able to operate and of course the president is a big enemy of the post office
1: And so, well, sure and for, post- for whatever reason he decides to to make that day about his reason to be an enemy of the post office and I talked with the Wisconsin Elections Commission earlier about how many extra mail-in ballots they're going to need and as your point is right the clown- the, the clerks are all scrambling now to get all of that put in now the, the Senate did put forth Uh, The first draft of a bill this week, Uh, Their big thing, and and I want to go back to this uh, in the extra 600 a week, that they, opponents of this keep saying that it's going to keep people from going back to work. But according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there's 18 million people looking for work and only 5.4 million jobs. So even if people are looking (laughs) for work, it's hard to get it. As you mentioned, uh, Congresswoman, uh, things are closed. The... The strain that's going to be put on people is immense if this if this money goes away. That seems to be the biggest fight between the two. If you were if you were to make a prediction today, do you think there's going to be some sort of enhanced unemployment benefit when this is all said and done? I know they're talking about maybe all right, 600. Eh, that might be too much. Let's cut it down. Where do you think this is going to fall at the end of the day?
7: Brian, look, uh, first first of all, one of the things you're talking about is some portion of the 600 based on your actual salary and calculating that. I mean, programming things to do that would mean that money would never get out of the door. I mean, we already got 100 uh, uh, 140,000 people here in the state of Wisconsin who didn't get the first unemployment check because of the bureaucracy and stuff, much less coming up with some formula or something <laughs> to give people partial benefits yeah. so that they won't abuse something. I mean, look, you know, nobody wants to use the, the dreaded D word, but history might call this a daggone depression um, at some point.
1: People, but we have more. Uh, we have higher unemployment than we did any time other than the Great Depression. So I don't think your label is that far off.
7: So it, it's double digit. Uh, it's double digit, and 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 that's not counting the informal economy. People are suffering, and like I said, uh, evictions. Uh, we, we 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 anticipate forty percent. Of Americans not being able to pay their mortgage or their rent mm-hmm. uh, in August, thirty-eight uh, percent in July, I, 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 and I'm not a mathematician, but boy, Brian, that sounds like a big old number to me. It's uh, it's terrifying, I mean, that sounds quite like
1: frankly. A huge
7: number, um, and uh, I, I have already been warned. You know uh, that the evi- you know the, that the we're going to see a, a rising eviction rate. Um. Uh, you know, court-ordered and legal. Um, uh, This is no joke. Uh, Those are provisions that we had in not only Heroes Bill, but subsequent legislation, um, you know, to prevent evictions and to provide support to people who lost their jobs. I mean, what can you do? If if your restaurant cannot open, what can you do?
1: Yeah, nothing. Um, what, speaking of right. restaurants and small businesses, what about small business subsidies? There was a lot of, in the last, in the last bill, there was a lot of talk about uh, the uh, PPP and small business money going to businesses that didn't really seem to need it. One, uh, Congresswoman, is, the, is that going to be continued, the pay tech per, uh, Paycheck Protection Program, and is there going to be a little more oversight as to who really gets this money?
7: Well, Brian, I mean, that's an extremely important question. I just want to defend uh, Nydia Velasquez, our chief, um, uh, the uh, chairwoman of the Small Business Committee in the House, and, and of course, uh, Maxine Waters of Financial Services Committee, the people who basically got the PPP from the Senate uh, and basically had to reinvent it in order to make it work at all because it was sent over from a republican majority uh and it was designed it it worked exactly the way it was designed so we think of some of the big players that got millions it's not as if it weren't really designed that way um and so some of the innovations that were made to the ppp program to try to provide you know cdfi community development financial institutions to be able to get you know some levels of that lopped off and earmarked. Uh, you know to be able to to, to try to, to tease and massage Senate legislation to make it work is what we've been doing. The, the truth is, is that you know while people were critical of you know uh, a Ruth Chris getting money, I mean those are. Uh, low-wage workers in, in many respects people who work in, in in those industries and there's there's lots of them um, and so the, it was it was written to protect large employers um, uh, i am sure without looking through I'm looking through top line uh, points uh, on the Republicans bill and uh, again they uh, their number their top line number is there's a huge difference between, like, the over $3 trillion that we had in the bill really recognizing the truth about these times. I think nobody nobody wants to talk about a depression, but we saw $915 billion in state and local government alone. We had asked for $3.5 okay. $3. million in that package that we passed in May, $3.5 and I think that the Republicans um, uh, in the Senate package—I uh, mean, just adding it all up—it doesn't seem to even be close uh, to that. I mean, I'm not—I'm looking at yeah. what—I'm um, uh, I, I, looking at like literally a, a, just about one third of that. Um, Who knows? And you know, arguably, this is just an opening bid for sure. the Senate to come to the table so that there can be uh, some sort of conference committee. And we've always understood that. We've always understood that Republicans are eventually going to have to come to the to the table. Because this misery index, I mean, unfortunately for them, um, there are Republicans who know it yes. who are suffering.
1: Yes, my there's a lot of people God. suffering. I mean, my God,
7: people who are getting, you know, there are people in southern
1: states who right it, it's, it's amazing that, wow, that it took that, this long and suffering. now you've got you've got all these millions of people who are looking at their unemployment being slashed by sixty some percent starting starting today you've got people wondering about is there going to be another uh... you know twelve hundred dollar check where some people still haven't gotten that first one uh, congresswoman i know you're you're extremely busy before i let you go uh, If you had to make a prediction today, as you're sitting in Washington looking at the opening bid from the Senate and you're looking at what the House had passed back in May again, uh, where do you think this will all shake out and when do you think things could get settled? Because uh, while to a lot of people in Washington, time might not be of the essence, to your constituents and people across the country, time is definitely of the essence.
7: Like I said, I mean... Uh, there are people who already haven't paid rent in July, and, right. and it's almost it's almost August first. I mean, people will be on the street, um, and so if they pass something today, it would be late, right? Uh, and the negotiations haven't even started. I know the Senate has itself scheduled to go into August. Of course, the House, um, and we've been advised to keep ourselves loose uh, uh, for for that possibility uh and um and i think that you know we of course are willing to work uh, to the end but i just want to remind people that we passed our bill in may in may um and, and and i think that this is just a reality check uh that the virus really is in charge uh you can't just wish it and declare that it will be so that we will just open up the schools. We're going to have all our restaurants and movie theaters open. And, uh, it's just, we're going to all go to the beach and, and hug cheek to cheek it's, and fill up every plane and all the middle seats. It's just not going to happen. Uh, without grave consequences, the virus is in charge. We've got to follow. And, and, and honestly, the science says we all need to hunker down at the same mm-hmm. doggone time you know so there might even be an effort at some point to shut it all down all simultaneously all together to try to get control Ugh. we've got flu season coming up we need to face it we need to support people so we can get through this
1: well i hope i hope uh, the other side of the aisle is hearing that message i hope they wake up and realize that yes once you leave, uh, there's a lot of misery, as you've mentioned, all over this country. It doesn't matter whether you're red, blue, male, female, it doesn't matter. The misery out there. Congresswoman Moore, I really appreciate you taking some time this afternoon. We'll keep in touch as things develop, and I hope uh, I hope the Senate can work with the House and we can finally get to get some movement on this. Again, congratulations on getting this passed in May in the House. Uh, hopefully the other side will uh, will figure this out. Have a great weekend. Thank you again for all your time. Your lips to
7: God's ears.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Take care. That is Congresswoman Gwen Moore. Uh, we'll do this. Then there's more. 620 WTMJ.
0: You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ.
1: My thanks again to Congresswoman Gwen Moore. Uh, I'm hoping... That they the Senate can come up with something for these enhanced unemployment benefits. If you've lost your job and you've been depending on the bonus six hundred, the extra six hundred, uh, you know that if that goes away, the average unemployment recipient, their income is going to fall by about sixty one percent. And I don't buy the the well, if we give them that money, that's an incentive not to work. That is unbelievably, you know, what, sure. There are some people who are going to try to game the system, but most people want to work. And, again, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, there are 18 million people out of work. There are only 5.4 million jobs. So that just means most people who are jobless, even if they want to work, they couldn't. So... Let's hope that gets done. All right, we're going to go back to baseball because it is opening day. So after the top of the hour, we're going to talk to Brett Suter, and then we'll talk about the best baseball movies, your favorites. Uh, We'll do all that and some big Zoom fails all in the final hour of the big broadcast. But that comes your way after the news, which comes your way after this on 620 WTMJ.